Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Joseph E. Green, and he's just published a book. It came out two weeks ago. And if you're watching this on YouTube or Rockfin, you can see the title. The title is Tinfoil Hat Not Included, Conspiracy Theories in Art and Practice. And it goes into a lot of very current uh, topics. People talk about conspiracy. What isn't conspiracy? What's the state? How we uh, look at the world, really with this new information, so much information floating around. So I, I really enjoyed reading through this book. And uh, I've had Joe on in the past. We talked about his other a two-part book, and that was Dissenting Views 1 and 2. That's also Investigations in History, Culture, Cinema, and consp Conspiracy. And uh, his website is his full name with JFK at the end. So it's JoeGreenJFK.com. I'll put that in the show notes. And you also can see his working on a publishing house, which is Say Something Real Press. So I'll also put that in the show notes. But uh, it's a really interesting book. A lot of names pop up. A lot of people, somebody who, uh, one of his friends is uh, Mr. McBride, who I interviewed and a couple of times, but uh, really interesting topics and, and I'm delighted to have him back. So Joseph E. Green, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks. I appreciate the, uh, the uh, introduction. Great. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard of our earlier show, can you kind of do an overview of kind of your background and research and what led you to kind of write your books? I know you're involved in a lot of other stuff in and in a documentary as well. But then what kind of led up to tinfoil hat not included? Yeah. So um, I started out with the Coalition on Political Assassinations, um, which is run by a guy named John Judge, who I uh, met about 15 years ago now or more now, 16, 17. Anyway, it's been a while. And uh, he basically became a mentor for me. I was interested in a lot of these things in a kind of um, – uh, abstract or academic way and john sort of pointed me into the nitty-gritty of the details of of how the world actually works um and it turns out that every time you turn over a rock uh there's a conspiracy under it and uh, unfortunately you look at one and then you look at the next one and you think this can't possibly be also and yeah it turns out that one was too and you just keep going it's it's incredible the way things come into each other and how almost nothing you see on television is true in any sense. No, it is amazing. Like we're in a kind of a new kind of informational era where the cover story is total deception. It's also superficial. There's a lot more to the story that oftentimes the public discourse is leaving out critical elements of who these people really are, what they really did, what's been left out of history. So it's kind of like, and it's kind of like, a, for me, when I was reading through your book, it's like conspiracy. It is a conspiracy, but it's like, it's how you perceive these things, how we think what we think. You wrote that in the introduction. So it's like, what yeah, are the terminologies like, that we use? Now? Well, and then terminology, of course, came to us uh, by popular demand of the CIA um, after the Kennedy assassination, the term conspiracy theorist. And it's a really troubling pairing of words like basically the what it actually means if you break out the syntax is one thing but what people understand by it what what is denoted by the term conspiracy theorist is tends to be like you're a whack job who you know thinks something wild or untrue um the kennedy assassination uh becomes a kind of a, a people don't jump to that necessarily 
Um, I, I think people nowadays tend to jump to, you don't believe the earth is round or, uh, you know, you're, you believe everybody's a lizard or something like something truly, you know, outrage that would require an enormous amount of evidence that appears to be unavailable to try and prove. Uh, whereas, the, whereas the area that I spend most of my time in and most researchers spend most of their time in are areas where there is available evidence, um, but that evidence is not presented in the media. So people accept whatever story that they're given. Uh, and unfortunately, this happens over and over again. And um, I'm not much of a Noam Chomsky guy, but in this book, I do give him his proper credit for making the statement that the more free your country is, or the more you have some sort of democratic election thing going in your country, the more you need to be propagandized, right? If the state just has an iron fist and just will just kill you or imprison you for doing anything, you don't really need a whole lot of propaganda. The, the propaganda is in deference to the fact that we have so much freedom and ability uh, to look into these things. So, and unfortunately that's, that's what comes to, to buy. And that's where this book came out of. Is just all that propaganda that's coming out. Like our history almost is propaganda in a lot of ways. If not all, I mean, it is. I don't I know mean, where. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, which is also, but the, and the trouble with a lot of these terms, and this is what I was trying to reset in this book is that um, you're either it's all it's almost like it always means too much or too little. There's there's very few nuances in these things. So it's like, well, you're you're pro conspiracy theory. Well, I'm not pro conspiracy theory, but if the facts lead me in that direction, I won't jump off the trail just because it leads to a conspiracy. That's the critical thing. It's not that you're seeing conspiracies everywhere. Uh, it's that there are plenty of conspiracies. And the hilarious thing about in our country is that some of them are actually acknowledged. Some of them aren't, but they still remain in the public consciousness. Um, and one of my favorite examples, which I also cited in this book, which is now it happened I, something almost 20 years ago. Um, but Colin Powell was asked about the overthrow of Salvador Allende's government. And he was just answering questions off the cuff. And they said, oh, do you, you know, do, do you regret our involvement in that? And Colin Powell says, yeah, uh, I do regret that. And, and the United States regrets that. And, you know, we, we shouldn't have been involved in that thing. Well, he got into big trouble because the United States had not officially said that, yes, we did do Salvador Allende. Um, and since they hadn't admitted to it yet, uh, it, it's, it was, is not a thing to say in front of the press. But again, it's because Colin Powell's an intelligent person. He knows what the hell's going on. And he answered the question honestly. Right. So it's like you have to keep these public myths, right? This public myth. Shibboleths. Yes, right. So you have to really do it. Uh, that Allende was the original 9-11, September 11th, I think. So. The original 9-11. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, shock doctrine, really awful stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's like the, and it still goes on today, right? I mean, we still have oh, right. nobody I mean, questions it, JFK. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it gets, it, it's more brazen, I guess, in some sense. Like it used to be, like even when they were writing things like um, the critics and scoundrels, uh, when they were, uh, there was a, an article that was written in the 60s about the, 
quote unquote scoundrels that are criticizing the Warren Commission. But even then, there was much more of a tendency to take on issues of substance rather than just these like in a modern newspaper, if there's an editorial, it's it wouldn't say, well, the evidence doesn't support uh, that JFK was assassinated by a conspiracy. It would just say conspiracy theorists are idiots and they're also anti-vaxxers and they're also this. And, was, and then it would just becomes a chain of association. I don't know if you've read in a, any articles like that in any newspaper, but this is how they go. They don't they don't even get they don't rise to even providing any kind of substantive discourse. It's just you're dumb because you believe this. And that unfortunately and I mean, you is see, the way a lot of people think this. Right. And so then it, it kind of uh, twists the public mind. And then also it divides people into two different camps. Like I think it, your, your statement about nuance is really important because even in this discourse, you're either a schizo conspiracist or a normie, right? You can't kind mm -hmm. of be in some middle place where you're asking questions or, you know, questioning history or trying, trying to look for discourse, like you said. So it is, it is interesting how that, how that kind of rhetoric is, is so powerful yeah. in, in our, in our communication and discourse. Well, and, it, and it's, it's funny too, because even, uh, I mean, just on, again, on television, if you go back to the sixties, uh, and you watch like William Buckley's program, um, speaking of scoundrels, like William Buckley is a detestable human being who, uh, <laughs> I'm completely on the other side of the fence politically. Um, but, he was articulate and he could make a defense of a position. And there was a certain amount of uh, intellectual heft that was brought to bear. Um, nothing like that remotely is on television. Um, if you've ever seen like James Baldwin g give an interview um, as he did a few times, and they're just, they're totally amazing off the cuff uh, interviews. There's nothing like that on television. Today. Like there's not, not remotely. It's all this kind of, you know, Trump versus uh, what screening leftists and they, they, it never, it never gets anywhere in between there. And now you've got like, it, you know, DeSantis is going to be the new Trump, you know, so it's, he's going to be like further to the right of Trump somehow. Anyway, so you can see the theater playing out as we right. see. Yeah. And so the people aren't looking, I mean, and that's also another theme in your book is that what's the behind the curtain of the theater, right? So you talk about Baum, Oz, and things like that. But I think like uh, Buckley came out as God and Man at Yale, I think was the title of his book. So he came out mm -hmm. as a Christian, but the guy was in Skull and Bones, which means that he oh, yeah. was initiated. And I mean, we can go into the graphic details of what that initiation is, but like he's playing two fields. Also like, uh, I don't know, some people, yeah. he, he was, um, he preferred dudes. So he was, he was out there kind of like this, like the Christian intellectual, but his private life was just like the opposite, man. Like really. Yeah, bad. although there's there's a there's kind of a tradition of that um, now of uh, of that very thing, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to do any armchair psychologizing in that regard. Um, but the fact of the matter is that Buckley, uh, if he was on television now, I, I think people just wouldn't understand what he was saying. And this is somebody who's like severely right wing. Uh, and presumably would be on the side of, you know, who knows? Uh, Republican Party is, I mean, both parties really have, have moved uh, in very 
bad directions for us, uh, which is another thing. It's also very difficult to, to discuss because you end up getting into these wild binaries that have nothing to do with each other and nothing to do, frankly, with reality. Right. Right. And that's the whole thing. And so people are taking this kind of theatrics and rhetoric that get clicks or get attention and considering that to be their reality too, which is all, you know, kind of scary. Like you clearly can see that these people on TV are saying the most outrageous thing just to get people angry and get, yeah. get attention and even online. Right. But it's for, and it's to elicit a response, not to actually have accurate discourse about everything involved in our reality. Yeah. And there was always, there's always a part of, of culture that is like that. I mean, there were shock jocks going back to the seventies. Right. And that, that just grew and grew and grew and they got on television with Morton Downey and, you know, it just it dug further tunnels, but it continued to exist in the culture and it got bigger and bigger in the culture. And so now like shock jocks are basically what we have as a political system is just, right. you know, two people <laughs> saying wildly different things, but you know, not only is there no common ground, there's no, there's no discourse. There's no language to even speak what, you know, what a reconciliation would be. Like, uh, no, it's so yeah, true. I mean, in the, like Trump is respond like he's one of the biggest purveyors of that, like clearly saying yeah. stuff to get attention and getting in the public eye like a shock jock. He's almost like a shock jock politician. Even his most recent yeah. thing about what Ron DeSanctimonious and all this stuff. Like he's yeah, he's yeah, playing yeah. for people like uh like Morton Downey. What was the original guy? There was this other lunatic on late night TV before Downey. I wish I could remember his name. Yeah. Do you I remember? I know you yes, I know you're thinking of. I cannot think of who that is. Right uh, now, his daughter I, was that one actress. Oh, gosh, what is his name? Hmm. Um, but I'll I'll have to look it up. But they were they were just doing it for fun. And they had the audience all ramped up and I mean come out yeah. with a flag, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not, I mean, and it's been said before, but it's, you know, it's a little like wrestling um, and it, it's gotten more and more like wrestling um, because there's so little talk about things that actually matter to most people's lives, um, you know, it becomes these abstract, no, you know, immigration, I'm against immigration. Like, what the hell does that even mean? I'm against Right. immigration like it's a concept like you don't ever want to you know and then the same thing i'm pro-immigration so okay so what and then when you see it on tv it's inevitably presented exactly like that the people who are anti-immigration are anti-immigration the hell of everyone and the people who are pro-immigration want everybody in the whole world which you know in a, in a conservative or an older person's mind means you know guns thieves you know robbers whatever um because they're all talking about these abstract images that, again, are simplified and barely represent anything. I mean, I, I, some of this is, uh, you know, and, I, and one of the things I was trying to do in this book is because I, I find myself being at odds all the time with the culture, which is very wearying. Like at, the, at a certain point, I just like, ah. but I, I wanted to try and articulate that in a simple and shorter way than i have before because i think that uh my both my dissenting views books are a little bit too academic at times and so i was trying to bring this to a, a scenario where uh it's it's hopefully shorter but hopefully it packs a punch and it is interesting you're willing to go to both sides because you criticize npr 
um, uh, Scott Simon's reporting. So something, oh, you know, yeah. you're not, you know, you know, yeah. know a willing. I mean, I, I try to do the same thing as criticize everybody too, but um, can you talk kind of about maybe your, uh, your introductory chapter about Scott Simon and NPR and how some of these guys really are servants of the state. I mean, they get paid by the state, so it's not surprising that they become on the left, they become uh, servants of the state. And Wally George yeah. is his name. Thanks, Dappy Jack. Yeah, Wally George. Wally George. Wally George. George. There you go. Um, yeah, it's not, and it, and it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter that much. Like when you're saying um, left and and right, uh, it, it's usually it things that that the left and the right in this country get polarized about. You know, say like abortion or something like that. Um, have nothing to do with sort of maintaining a general um, a a desire for big business to operate within its confines, right? So the left and the right agree on this huge thing that basically we want to be good for business in general when we're making our decisions. And if you're on the left, you say, well, you also have to consider a couple of other things, but basically we're on board. And if you're right, the argument is, well, we don't consider anybody. We just consider, you know, those are, these are, these are how fine these distinctions are. Right. And then you also have this uh, notion that we're also going to be a technological state. And that that's, that's a good thing. And it's always been said this, it's been like, you know, and, and when you go to a political speech, inevitably they get around to saying, we're going to improve our technology and that's going to be good for us. And what that actually means tends to be good for business, which is not necessarily good for you or me or, you know, somebody at home. Um, what it, what the, what you're referring to was, was about Scott Simon is that Scott Simon uh, had a show in 1981 at the same time. It was weekend edition on national public radio. So everybody's, probably familiar with this. Uh, and on March the 30th, 1981, uh, Ronald Reagan was shot. Um, and the accused assassin, attempted assassin, was John Hinckley Jr. Right. And <laughs> he was described as a uh, as a deranged drifter, but then it turned out that he was not a deranged drifter. Uh, or he may well be deranged, but he was uh, the scion of a very um, uh, rich oil family that knew the Bushes very well. And so the, this has been called now the area where Ronald Reagan got shot is called the Bushy Knoll. Uh, John Judge is the one who crowned it. So, um, but anyway, so the Hinckleys have been long term. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. That part of what that hotel in Washington, D.C., where he was shot, they made sure to strip it all away. So the whole place where yeah. Hinckley supposedly was and that wall, they changed the whole thing so that there would be no memory of even the landscape or the architecture at that time. Because that when yep. I was in D.C., no, I was like, this doesn't look anything like this. I was, yeah, I, was I had 10 the same. Later. Was, yeah. Oh, wow. So that Sorry. was, yeah, I was going to say, we, I just went there six or seven years ago and, and uh, just to just to be in the area because you're right. It doesn't look at, you try to match it up with pictures and it's useless. Yeah. I was there in 95. Right. So it wasn't, it was 15 years later. Totally. Wow. Different. The total. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, 
so this Hinkley Bush uh, shooting, uh, uh, he had the Scott Simon had the chance to ask Bush about the Hinkley Bush connection, and he didn't do it. And when he was then asked why he didn't do it, he said that maybe something that gentlemen just don't ask gentlemen. And I write in here that I just don't, I don't like that. Okay. And right. It wasn't um, what the Bush son was supposed to have a, a dinner with the Hinckley family, like on the Scott same Hinkley. night, the mm -hmm. night before, yeah. It was so. the night. It was actually going to be the night after, if I recall correctly. But it's mm -hmm. not even the dinner because it's just the fact that, you know, this person who turns out to be the assassin <laughs> or the attempted shooter of Ronald Reagan has this long family connection with the Bushes, um, like really pretty deep. Like they knew the family, they grew up together, you know. Uh, and you're just not allowed to ask the question. Right. It's a bizarre disconnect that the, the bigger the crime, the more improper it is to ask about the motives for that crime. Right. And there's a lot of suspicious things around that shooting, right? Hinkley was involved oh, yes. in World Vision. You mentioned that just like uh, Chapman with the Lenin yep, death. Yep. He was um, in World Vision, which is a CIA front. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. We could do a whole, we could do yeah, a whole show a whole on story. that. Uh, but I think the shooting happened. Yeah, it was March 81, right? So Reagan had just March started 80. his presidency. So yeah. if he died, Bush would have been president and been president for the next four years running the country, even though he's well, uh, ostensibly ran the country anyway. But. Yeah, John, John Judge always said this, and I agree that he considers that Bush year one. Because after oh, that, Reagan is essentially a guy who waves and takes naps, and Bush is running the show, according to that theory. Um, because, you know, uh, Reagan was... Um, you, you probably know that Reagan and Bush like really... Uh, well, Bush was generally disliked in, in Republican circles. Um, and particularly so he, Bush hated Reagan. Reagan was, you know, he, he had his, certainly his flaws, um, but he was basically, he was polite about wanting everybody to participate. So when they were going to have a debate, uh, Bush wanted a debate with Reagan only. And Reagan said, no, let's invite everybody, including the libertarian. You may remember, I think it was, was his name, John Anderson. He used to run for president yeah, every single right. yeah, right. four years um, from the Libertarian Party. And he's like, yeah, sure, let's get him. You know, so that's a, you know, give Reagan points for that. Um, and Bush was not was not interested in that at all. And they've been they've been combative the whole time. Um, and so it's not totally out of the woodwork to ask whether this was suspicious in any way. Uh, and it was essentially dismissed on day one. And those are the stories that are, it's like a big giant red flag. There's a very obvious question uh, that is not being asked. And then at some point we're told that it's improper to ask that question. It is an improper question. I, I'm just not a believer in improper questions. I don't think there are improper questions. I agree. I think a lot of these people, a lot, I mean, it's still in journalism today on both sides. If you want access to these politicians or invited to their yeah. after hour parties, you cannot ask certain questions or you're done. You're off of that list, baby. You're gone. Right. 
So right, and you, that's you what can't, people don't. If you do, can't yeah. do your work. Can't feed your family. Your can't pay your yeah. kids. Yeah, can't pay your kids college. You're done. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and it's 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 uh, something that happens on all over all journalists. So <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I think you talk. Yeah, you talk about QAnon too in this book. You talk about mm-hmm. kind of uh, conspiracy theories, like really going into kind of Michael Shermer. Michael Shermer is like a known kind of skeptic on everything, right? So he's skeptical yeah. about this whole conspiracy culture and whatever. Well, but I mean, he's it's a disingenuous argument because it's not. He's not actually. He's not like he's sitting down and actually analyzing you know, the culture and then coming up with an answer. He's got a predetermined answer and then he just cites essentially nothing, but he talks for a while and that's supposed to be a support for his position. Um, unlike, by the way, uh, again, going back to the 60s, right? Richard Hofstadter um, wrote a famous book that was about American conspiracies. And, and although he was you know, on the other side of this issue, it was a reasonable and fairly well-researched book. Um, so it was possible even in, and that book came out in 1964, right after Kennedy was killed. Um, there was some ability to bring certain questions out at that time that really doesn't happen now. Right. What was the, do you know the title of Hofstadter? It's H-O-F. Oh yeah. It's uh, the, uh, it's a famous um Oh God! I just it just popped out of my head. Um, I'll find it. Let's see. Paranoid style in American politics. In American politics, that. yes, yes, yeah. that's the one. I can't. It just dropped out of my head. But those, I mean, these kind of paranoid uh, styles always around. I mean, yeah. what a uh, total paranoid of hits say total paranoia is total awareness. And you talk about like some other people in this about why maybe some of this paranoia is justified considering the state, all the president's men, uh, Pakula, yeah. who also did, uh, what is it? Uh, not scanner darkly. Uh, it's, it's a parallax view. You know, call that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. That, that's a, the, the set. I'm, I love the seventies um, paranoid thrillers where you could sort of make, um, make really good films on adult themes and that were inspired by stuff that was going on in the counterculture of the 60s, um, which is where my heart really lies. But um, yeah, again, there's nothing, there's, there's not a, I feel like this discussion isn't happening very often. And that's what I was trying to do with this thing. Um, get some of these questions out there. Um, at least, hopefully, if somebody reads it, maybe gain a, an ability to parse some of the language of how discussions happen in this country and why they're polarized and why they need not be in some cases. Um, But also to get out of the training of always regarding the state's position as the default position and one that shouldn't be questioned. Because unfortunately, I mean, I hate to tell you, and and it always, if you just say it to a person, you tend to sound nuts, but it's like, the Kennedy assassination is a conspiracy. Martin Luther King was assassinated by conspiracy. Malcolm X, you know, and away we go. And I can't, I can't JFK, help that. JFK, RFK, yeah. 
and Ted Kennedy. Yeah, I, I wrote a whole thing on Ted Kennedy, which I, most people are on the other side of that. Uh, but there's been some some interesting work that came out from there. Um, but the 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 point being is that that just sounds like a bunch of nonsense. Most people are not going to be able to accept that just bluntly. But I feel like if you go one at a time, and you get the proper training to understand when somebody is trying to lie to you, what are they likely to say in this propaganda culture? And that's what I'm trying to do uh, with, with tinfoil hat. I mean, it's, it's a, um, you know, it, it's not a, it's a, um, it's kind of a, a tongue in cheek title. Um, but again, the whole idea is to try and take an ice pick to some of the language that's being used in this country. Because but it's just like the narrowing, and, it, yeah, yeah. It really is Orwellian, right? Because you narrow the language down to these very blocky forms, and then when people yeah. are discourse, they're not getting any deeper understanding. Particularly when the American state has been involved in so many dark events since the end of World War II, and you start off with this crazy guy who said America had the coons or whatever. Uh, but like we've been involved oh, yeah. in some pretty heavy duty stuff, and so you know. We dropped yeah, two which news is, on Japan. Like we, we're capable of like really horrible stuff. Which is hardly ever addressed. In, um, you know, if you if you do any uh, research into that and just um, have a certain amount of empathy, I, I've uh, having looked into that. I think that you know, if somebody were born Japanese and they wanted to dedicate themselves to destroying the United States, like I wouldn't, I would understand. You know what I mean? Based on the fact that we dropped those, those bombs, because uh, those stories are horrific. Uh, if you go into that stuff, which I, I won't right now, but, uh, but yeah. And then it, when you can pick up some of that, when you learn the real history of even something like World War II, um, you can at least train yourself to empathize a little bit with the people who are getting crushed. I mean, the whole thing about about terrorism is that it's from unequal parties, right? The, the, the guerrilla band, it, they're terrorists because they're operating against the state. If the state carpet bombs them, that's not considered terrorism in our language. Right, or poisons them with Agent Orange, causing or poisons immense them with harm Orange, for, yes. genera for generations. Like what the Americans After we invaded their country. Right. <laughs> on a, on a fake pretext, going, right? We know the goal for On a fake, yes, yes. Was, was engineered. So like you're going, if you're really thinking, are you really a conspiracy or are you just trying like, how do these terms overlap where you're a conspiracy investigator or are you just looking at the truth history, the true history, not this right. kind of whitewashed, uh, superficial kind of like white bread view of history when it's much more nuanced and there's a lot of other things going on influencing history. So yeah, and it's so. precisely why history isn't taught that way. I mean, everyone remembers that when they were in high school or even university, if you were in like a general course, history is the most boring subject imaginable. But it's not actually. Like history is fascinating. Uh, it's a it's a continuing drama with all these different human personalities and amazing things happening. Uh, but standard history as it's taught in a school is just stultifying. It's horrible. 
why is that? Which is another part of it's another part of the grand conspiracy is that you just get this terrible thing. Like how when you think like it's epistemology, when you get this horrible impression of history, then you don't even want to know the truth because it's so boring. They've taken all the interest out of it. And I would actually argue that all history, at least of nations and even in individual countries, is conspiratorial. All politics, yeah. even in the U.S., is all not Nick, not like like on a legal standard conspiracy, but the fact that people are always trying to knife each other in the back and front stab people for political power is just it's human history because all the way back to Cain and Abel. So yeah, um, and I've I've you know I've I've said it this way before. Um, how many uh, heads of the uh, Federal Reserve are there? you know, like a dozen. Okay. Are you invited to their meetings? Do you know what they talk about? So how, how much influence does the federal reserve have over the United States? Right. Uh, and you could do that with anything. I mean, they, basically if you work in a company and your company has a CEO that's on the 32nd floor, how much input do you actually have as to what's going on? Virtually none. It's decided by one guy and maybe eight people in his, and they, they make all the decisions for the company. If the United States is just a large company, which essentially it is, as I've said, it's, it's a, both parties are agreed that we need to make conditions smooth for business. Then, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Conspiracy is just doing business. There, go, go talk with a major corporation. It's all conspiracy, conspiratorial yeah. thinking, how you can get your competitor stealth mode uh, rollouts getting corporate information i mean it's it's subterfuge yeah. it's like, like these corporations aren't the cia but they want to be like the cia they, they want do to have yeah so opportunities yeah. so they've so got little it's, we, we've been conditioned through language and through the political party people in power the state in a very broad sense to not really analyze and think and so that the people who are are not wanting you to think then besmirch and belittle you and then the people who are still under this wizard of oz kind of mind rape then are against you and put you into a strange place because they haven't done the, the kind of step-by-step -step thinking to look beyond or underneath the curtain or past the curtain right do you agree with that? not at all and and completely and you also have to look at the history of uh, standardized education in the United States, like who started it and who wanted it. Um, and it's big business wanted it, like literally uh, uh, the Rockefellers, Carnegie, and the, the imposition of school in the United States where you have, you go to a building that's supervised by a teacher and you know that every 45 minutes or so the bell rings and you move to this other room and you do this other thing. And that lasts 45, like that schooling, um, the history of that is actually really interesting. There's a, there's a great book by a guy named John Taylor Gatto. Uh, it's called the underground history of American education. And it talks about how um, when they were putting those things in that they were based on Prussian ideals and they had specifically um, looked at Pavlov's work, which is why they use bells to get, people to moving uh it, it's just it's fascinating so a thing that we grow to completely accept like i you don't you never think about you know why does my child need to go to 
public school or whatever. It's never, it's not even a question, right? But like 200 years ago, no one did this. So it is pretty interesting. You know, this is, this is a pretty, and I'm not saying that school is bad or anything like it. I'm just saying that learning the history of how we got these things influences the way you think about them after that. Yeah, no doubt. Really does. The, 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 that's a whole nother topic, but it fits into the tinfoil hat kind of thing. Like I talked to John Klyzak who wrote a book about this learning and it's like Skull and Bones is involved in it. All kinds yeah. of sinister people. Yeah. Uh, what was the lady's name who, whose uncle was in, or dad was in Skull and Bones? It was, um, I can't remember that name. Damn it. Uh, but yeah, I think she was friends with God, if I remember correctly. But um, okay. yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, I never questioned my education. I have a lot of questions after going through the system for all those years. Like, yeah, what did I really learn? Mm -hmm. I actually had to relearn kind of history in a lot of ways. I mean, it's really kind of a strange thing, but I'm still relearning actually in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you always are. And there's always going to be new stuff coming out and new ways of, looking at history too, uh, which is starting to, which is a big tension, obviously in our country with civil war statues getting taken down. I, I think quite rightly, but that's another thing. Um, so that is starting to surface a little bit, uh, which is, which is also good. Although it tends to be played as a complete hard binary, like everything else the media promulgates. So it, you, again, you never get any nuance in those discussions either. But it is good that at least different views are being considered. Right. I mean, why couldn't they just take the statues and put them in a museum? That's what I don't get. Like, you can take them down, yeah. just move yeah. them somewhere. I think that put would, up a, that would a, make a sense. Statue too. of somebody else. I don't care. Like, you need to know that history. You can't. What's a huge mistake of anybody to actually whitewash history? It's nasty. It's ugly. Right. Slavery, wars. People are nasty to each other. They poison each other. There's all kinds of things that people <laughs> have to learn from that. Mm -hmm. All the time, and I, and I've I've written about that. I, I wrote about uh, Shakespeare's politics because one of, that's the other thing that I think is funny and and slightly ironic is that the greatest writer of all time in the English language generally is agreed upon to be William Shakespeare, um, whose history plays are full of conspiracies. The plots of all of them are about people trying to kill the king uh, because they want to get power. You know, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, right? And, uh, you know, Hamlet, it's Julius Caesar, Julius right. Caesar, the granddaddy. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, if you read those plots, you know, plots have I laid inductions dangerous, right? The, it's Richard the third. They're all about conspiracies. Um, and I think that's, that's another thing that's, that's buried because it's a thing that we understand, I think intuitively, like Colin Powell understands that, yes, we were involved in, in kidnapping Salvador Allende. Uh, but since you're not able to acknowledge it, to the public, you've got this double think thing going on all the time. Yeah, that's true. Joe, we're at the forty minute mark. Do you have time to take cool. a few questions? Uh, yeah, if there's questions, I can take. I can take right. some questions. Mike asks, "Does the book cover artist Mark Lombardi?" It seems like it overlaps. Do you know who Mark Lombardi was? Yeah, um, actually, there's a Facebook group um, uh, that uh, on Mark Lombardi that I started like. 16 years ago or something like a long, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Um, I don't know if I specifically cite Mark in this book. I have written about Lombardi stuff in other books and in other articles and things. Uh, yeah. Mark Lombardi's um, his art is amazing. It's, it's um, yeah. I wish 
everybody could see it. But uh, I did a full yeah, show there's... on him. So... Oh, I nice. did a full show on Mark, so people can check it out. It's like Mark Lombardi and a conspiracy so immense is the title. I'll stick it in the show notes. You can check it out because there was a really good documentary about him that captured him and his art. And I include little snippets of that in my presentation. But uh, nice, unfortunately, passed away. Yeah, uh, yeah there was really a pretty good book written. Um... I think I have it here somewhere, but uh, it's a yeah, um, from that lady. Was, yeah, I asked her to come. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. Told me to, she told me to pounce in. <laughs> she said, "Are you the William Ramsey on KWXY TV?" And I said, "No." And she said, "Later." So I tried to talk to her. That's why I had to do my own show about him because I thought it was important. I thought it was important. Yeah, but no, there's a book out there. I forgot the name of it. Uh, yeah, it has his yeah. circles on diagrams on the cover. Exactly. All right, Mike asks again, is it true that Lee Harvey Oswald's housekeeper was hired by Alan Dulles and that the poisoning of FDR is also linked to Dulles? Um, I've seen those claims uh, just like you. I don't know about that. The, the poisoning of FDR, there was a book called, uh, was it the one that was They, they Killed Roosevelt? It's an early book. Um, there's been suggestions of that that um, FDR was poisoned and also uh, that Hoover was poisoned. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I heard that Wilson was poisoned. Like he died very suspiciously too. Well, he also had, but he had a, um, he had a stroke and he was like half of his face was paralyzed. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure about that. Cause I think he was sick for quite a while. He may have died suddenly, but he had, he had had physical issues i was going to write it sick oh, okay yeah yeah I had, I had written half a play about wilson uh so i i looked into that a little bit Interesting. he kind of regretted after i think at the end he uh dr piper about. wasn't garfield poisoned as well i don't know yeah uh, really getting getting poisoned is uh is a pretty like, what's what's weird um i mean besides the poisoning of course is that like one of our presidents get shot at and or killed about every 40 years or so, I think, if you do the math. Um, just pretty unnerving for a country that's supposed to be, you know, top of the world. Um, it's, that's always been peculiar about our, our country, that uh, we do tend to have a lot of uh, dead presidents that way. Was, um, there is one that the official, I don't, remember, I don't think it was Garfield, it was... Um, there was there is a president that died of eating cherries and milk, officially. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, but apparently um, there's there's some people who argue that it was actually arsenic poisoning, which in any case is more believable than dying of cherries and milk. True, but there's also presidents who've been shot and survived, like uh, Jackson, oh, yeah, like yeah. a gun yeah. misfired. Right. Roosevelt was yeah. shot and gave a speech. You know, so Ted, these yeah, guys, Teddy's were trying to, yeah. Teddy's famous yeah. speech. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I mean, so that's a that's a that's lunacy. Like there, are, most countries uh, do not like have this level of violence against their leaders every couple of generations. Like that's it's pretty unusual. Um, particularly, like I say, if you're if all the the PR is about land of the free, home of the brave, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, if you're a president, you might get shot. Um, it's, it is it is a there's a bizarre contrast there for sure how violent our politics is america's a violent country they had a guy come out i forgot his name but uh, he said yeah americans are very 
America is a very violent country involved in all these wars. And people went after him. I forgot it was an American professor. Do you know that story? It's very recent. Um, no, uh, I don't think I've I'll heard have that. To find the guy's name. I mean, it, and I've and I've talked about this um, elsewhere, and I talk about it a little bit in the book about the fact that um, I do think that there's a continuity with Great Britain to the United States that um, after World War II, there's a reason why the United States becomes the kind of main player in the Western world, the way that the Great Great Britain used to be. And could no longer be after the Blitz um, because, you know, they were going to be scrambling to survive for, for quite a while. Um, but no, I, I, I think that there is that. The U.S. was in a strange position after World War II because if they didn't have that kind of overt drive, at least up until 1945 for this. I mean, they had a sea to sign shining sea mentality. But they didn't come to that whole world dominance like the Germans really wanted. And then World War II happened, and it's like, who's left standing? This one giant country with huge population and uh, huge and war, that had you know, not untouched been by damaged. war. Yeah, right. they had not been damaged in the war. And in fact, they just had the most productive years in their history because that was the incredible thing about World War II is that we completely got the nation onto war footing you know, virtually overnight, uh, right, really which is problem. maybe, maybe not a positive, but, but it's what happened. Yeah. I mean, our history really is incredible. The U S history in, in uh, yeah. this most generous, just tons of conspiracies, tons of conspiratorial stuff. I mean, there are, there's, Mark and Lombardi there's is weird, a perfect example. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's weird stuff too. Like, Hey, um, I also mentioned that uh, somebody, one president was almost shot by a Japanese. Um, you know, Jimmy Carter, there was an assassination attempt on Jimmy Carter that most people are not aware of. Um, but then it turned out that the guy's name was Osvaldo and uh, oh. the other guy's name was Harvey. Like these two guys, <laughs> Harvey like and Osvaldo are going to kill Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Like, I mean, is it sending a message to somebody? I mean, maybe, you know. I would think it's mess. I think Ford like narrowly escaped a bullet too, if I remember correctly. Twice, like some yeah, one of them from uh, one of Charlie Manson's girls. Um, yeah, Squeaky From. Squeaky right? From and and Sarah Jane Moore, and they both had these very bizarre. Um, in one case, uh, I don't remember if it was Sarah Jane Moore or not. The the gun didn't have any bullets or something, if I remember right. But yeah, they, right. two very like, bizarre. The, but there was a bullet, right? So there's a oh, bullet yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, but she didn't have any bullets in her gun. So what the heck's going on? Like, oh. Yeah. That's, I've seen this script right. before. Yes, this. that pops up all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The real history of America yeah. is really crazy, man. I mean, even the recent history. Um, yeah, there's some interesting it, stuff. It didn't start on January 6th. No doubt. There's no <laughs> doubt. There's no doubt. Joseph, we are at the 50-minute mark. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrapped up? There's um, a lot more in this book. You did a really great job. Just one more thing in the yeah. kind of latter ones. I really enjoyed the, the chapter on all the president's men, William Goldman, Pakula. So there's some really good, great like uh, film analysis in this book. So people should check that out, too. Uh, we yeah, didn't even we can, that. Yeah, we can talk about that another time. I got to wrap. It's a big, gotta, it's a gotta, big topic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But no, uh, yeah, Joe Green JFK is the best place to uh, find the book. Tinfall had not included. Um, and I really appreciate uh, you giving me the uh, opportunity to come on. 
My pleasure. And so it's, can people get a signed copy from you at Joe Green JFK? Not yet. Um, I'm testing that because the publishing is in a little bit of a thing right now because of COVID. And there, I want to see how fast I can get the books delivered to me because I'm still waiting on my, my initial shipment. So I'm a little concerned about that. So I'll, I'll make an announcement if I can. Okay. But people can, can be updated at your website. Joe. Oh yeah. GFK. yeah. Okay, cool. I always put you can find your there. other work. Yeah. Other work. Yeah. There's other, you've written a ton of articles, tons of other stuff. And all over uh, the place. Yeah. So congratulations on the new book. Again, the full title, you can find it on Amazon is tinfoil mm -hmm. hat, not included conspiracy theories in art and practice published 2022. It's been out for two weeks and today is November the 11th, 2022. So Joe, yes, sir. thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks, William. I appreciate it. Anytime. Stay there. Stay there.